just a heads up, everyone. Though we look at things through an optimistic lens on this show, some of the topics may be triggering and some of the language may be adult. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. I'm Jenna Edwards, and I've overcome some pretty serious adversity in my life. And I just recently realized it was all because of this mindset I call aggressive optimism. I knew I wasn't the only one living with this way of thinking, and as I always say, there's a million ways to do anything. So I wanted to do this podcast so I could have conversations with others and learn how they overcome adversity and achieve their big goals and dreams and create the life they want to live. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Edwards, and today we're going to be speaking with one of my favorite people, America's Stress Management Coach, Greg Threadgold. Welcome, Greg. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Your journey to becoming a stress management coach is very personal and frankly, a tragic one. But you approach it with such humor that this is going to be a very good conversation. Can you share with our audience a little bit about your journey? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, I think tragic is a good word, Jenna. I, uh, I grew up, I live in Utah. That's where I grew up. And um, like probably a lot of your listeners, unfortunately, I, I dealt with some abuse mm. as a child, um, physically and sexually. Um, for several years and I think that's where my tragic journey started and I think that's where it kind of made me uh, the struggling person I was through life. Um, I dealt with severe mental illness, um, depression, anxiety, um, panic attacks, um, paranoia, oh, wow. and even, even got to a point in my life where it was borderline schizophrenia. Um, wow. Yeah. How did you identify that? Um, that came up with one of my therapists, and I'd, I'd never been put in that category before. Mm -hmm. But he says, yeah, you, you border on schizophrenia. And I think that's from the paranoia. Interesting. Where I find mental health so fascinating because I've been through severe post-traumatic stress disorder. And so that like made me dive in to... Just all of it. Well, and before that, I studied psychology. So it's just also fascinating to me. Um, and it's more fascinating to me, and I think it is to you too, correct me if I'm wrong, because we both have overcome our mental illness in such an effective way that like, it makes the stories interesting instead of like, I'm able to like remove myself and not be empathic about it, but more interested in the process, if that makes sense. Is the same for you? It is, and I, and I sometimes, and I always clarify this on a, an interview, is sometimes we'll go, well, you know, I, you beat your mental illness and your, your depression, so it must have not been that bad. <laughs> um, wow, I, that's so interesting. I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, I, I bet people think the same about me too. But it, it, it can be. It took me 43 years to do it, so it wasn't a quick thing. Right. I, I was diagnosed, um, actually not until in my 20s. When oh, was, wow. When I was a newlywed, and my wife would look at me at times when I was acting certain ways and kind of like, what the hell's going on, look. 
mm. when I'm out of control. And we finally got it diagnosed. And my answer to that when I got diagnosed is, okay, great. Now it has a name. Let's fix it. Yes. How do I fix it? Now, I had those days where I just laid in bed and cried, but I wanted to fix it. Mm -hmm. And the rule that my wife and I had, because 28 years of our marriage, we've been married 35 years, wasn't wasn't really happy. It was a struggle. It was a struggle because she saw me struggle and go through it, but she never saw me give up. Which I... Which is why you're one of my favorite people. (laughs) Like you exemplify what I think of as aggressive optimism. Like you identified the problem and you believed so aggressively that you could overcome it. And then you did. And and that journey is not an easy one, my friend. So congratulations on sticking with it. Because man, I can relate. It is not easy when you just want to stay in bed and cry and like the emotions are so overwhelming and it feels like there's a wet blanket lying on top of you to get out of bed and keep going. That is probably the hardest thing, right? Yeah. I, the, the best explanation I've read was it's like you're drowning underwater, but you can see everybody else just living their lives. Yeah. And a lot of people, nobody's reaching in to help you. Mm. And one of the things that really put me in a perspective of where I was really at and how bad it was, was the first time I was, uh, we'll say this nicely, escorted <laughs> by, uh, to a mental hospital. Mm. Um, I am so excited about to talk about this and everybody listening is going to be like, you're such a freak, Jenna. <laughs> both Greg and I have experience in the psych ward. and Yeah, there are, one of the things you... It takes a few days, and, and, and I was in actually four different uh, mental hospitals. Oh, wow. Over the years. Um, before to, the show, we were talking about how none of those four hospitals had a no eloping sign like mine did. They did not. I, they left that out, and I'm quite so disappointed. Sad. I know. Because uh, <laughs> that was definitely a challenge for me. Um, but uh, when I got there, and after a couple of days of talking to other people and some patients don't talk and interact, but Mm -hmm. some do, but you find out what others are dealing with and you see what others are dealing with. You very rapidly appreciate what you have and you don't want to trade. Right. (laughs) It's that old adage. You're never given anything you can't handle. I totally get you because I would be sitting in group therapy and thinking, Okay, mine's not so bad. Yeah, it's not so bad. <laughs> I, I'm blessed. Which um, is not true, by the way. Oh, and we're oh, not yeah. belittling mental health here. We're just, both of us have gone through it. And if you can't have a little bit of humor when you're going crazy, like, you will literally probably not exist. What I, I mentioned before, I, I got one of the best pieces of advice that really put me on uh, the trail to beat my mental illness was from a patient mm-hmm. that I, be, I got to know. We had nothing in common. Okay. okay. I, I was in my late twenties. He was probably in his sixties. Wow. His name was Bob and he was um, in there because he was uh, a drug addict and an alcoholic and he was on detox. Oh, wow. And he had been in and out of those places for 40 years. Wow. And 
we had nothing in common, but we had this great friendship. And I remember it was family day where my kids could come visit. He said, you're still married? And we wow. told him, you have a job? He said, your family still talks to you? Hmm. He said, you're going to be the only person in here that has family come and visit. Wow. And he was pretty close. And But what we talked about, and we spent a lot of time. I was there for several weeks, and so was he. And we played a lot of ping pong, and we talked a lot. <laughs> and he said, you know, Dad, Greg, your room, ha your psych ward had a ping pong table. We had, we had ping pong. We didn't. There you go. Well, you had time to elope. But we had no eloping. Yeah, 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 you didn't elope either. Yeah, we had, <laughs> we had ping pong, so we played a lot of ping pong. And he said, Greg, I've got this all figured out life and i went okay this, this ought to be interesting and because he was in the middle of detox which is pretty ugly yeah. and he said he said after 40 years in and out of mental hospitals and living on the street he said the people in here you and i were the same ones and the people out there they're the crazy ones hmm. i went okay okay all <laughs> okay, right how well, does that how does that track <laughs> Yeah, how does that work? He said, no, I'm serious. Think about this. He said, you and I have nothing in common. He said, I'm old enough to be your father. He said, we have prayed together. We have cried together. We have hugged. We have supported each other. We have clapped for each other. We have played ping pong. We have become very dear friends in a very short time. And we actually, honestly, give a crap about each other mm. he said when we go out there how many people hug you how many people pray with you how many people want to spend time with you or do they walk and go the other way mm. he said we act in here like everybody should act out there and he said so when i go out there he said i try to act like i'm in here oh wow and so I've taken that to heart. And I didn't know that journey would take me to be a life coach mm. and a stress management coach. <laughs> yeah. Mental health is definitely stressful at times, isn't it? Yeah. And I didn't think that's where it would take me. But it did. And so, so let's I talk a little bit more about that. Like, how did that journey take you to becoming America's stress management coach? It, um, well, my my depression and anxiety and everything um, continued into my 30s and my 40s. Um, I was about 45 the last time I checked myself into a mental hospital because I was going to kill myself. Mm. And that was very close to that several times and attempted a couple times. Um, lucky I wasn't very good at it. I'm so glad and, you weren't very good at uh, it. I am too now. And I was about at my lowest point I'd been to. My my local bishop of my church or other religions, we call it a pastor. And I were talking and he says, but you got to be happy. You're going to be a grandfather for the first time. It's the greatest thing in the world. Hmm. And I said, no, I said, I've made a plan to kill myself before I will ever meet my grandchild because I don't want her to have me as a grandfather. Hmm. And that was the goal that I'd set. And Everything started to fall in place 
when I hit bottom again, <laughs> like I had. And on this I giggle because ride. that's the truth, right? Like you have to hit bottom in order to, everybody's bottom is different, you know? Yes. And I say yes. that to say, like, if you feel bad enough to even be con contemplating suicide, that's bottom. Like don't attempt, you, don't, <laughs> you know, like that doesn't have to be your bottom. No, and, I, and I've learned dealing with so many clients that my heart is not your heart. Mm -hmm. And your heart's not my heart. And we, and we live in a world where we compare what we're going through. Oh, man. And I don't know if you experienced this, but when you were talking about the psych ward, I remember so vividly people like comparing my PTSD to their alcoholism or comparing my story to theirs all the time in group therapy. And yeah. so I, I'm like, that comparison is poison. It is poison. And we, Plain and simple. And there's, we become toppers and we try to top somebody else's story. I know. It's fascinating, but yeah. also tragic. Like yeah. if your story is affecting you on a daily basis, then it's bad. Right? Like if it's, yeah. it doesn't have to be, oh, you had this horrible, tragic thing happen to you. It's just like recognize that you're not functioning at your best and then go do something about it. Yeah. Just, just get after it and do something about it. And I always kept trying. And then this same uh, Bishop of my church, when I was extremely close to suicide, mm. he said, will you go for one more counseling session? Now I'd been, uh, I'd had 20 different therapists. I'd had 45 different medications. I'd been in four psych units. I pretty much tried everything. Yeah. And he said, please do it for me. I said, okay. So I went to someone I'd never been to before. And I knew how to play the game. Mm. I knew how to tell her my story and answer the questions and play the game. So I could get out of there in a half hour. <laughs> and then I could go end it. Aww. And that, that was my attitude. And we, we have to love people. And this is where the serious, but the humor mixed. She said, you know, we really got to think out of the box. You've tried so many things. We got to go way out of the box. All right. I like it. She looked at me, Jenna. <laughs> And she said, have you ever thought of a lobotomy? Wow. And I, that's Talk I about kicking it like 1800s old school. And I went, did you that's just say that out loud? <laughs> she said, what? A lobotomy? Is that still a thing? I don't know. Apparently. And then she said, God bless her heart. She said, have you ever heard of ECT? Electrical convulsive therapy, mm -hmm. shock treatment. Yeah, and my my answer was yours. They still do that. <laughs> I'm thinking one floor of the cuckoo's nest. I'm thinking Frankenstein. And I went. They still do that. And she says, you know, I sent one patient to do it. I don't know what happened, but I have the phone number. If you promise to call them, I'll let you leave because she wasn't going to let me leave. Right. Of course. She wasn't going to let me leave. I said, sure. Now, one thing, I didn't mean it, but one thing that was really weird is I was always a person of my word. Mm. And so I said, you know, I'm going to kill myself today, but 
I promised her I would do this, so I will. And I called this sweet lady that ran the program up at the University of Utah. And we talked, she stayed on the phone with me for two and a half hours trying to get me to come in for an evaluation. Wow. And she convinced me. She said, just come in and talk to the doctor. And she's like, then if you want to kill yourself, then kill yourself. This is sometimes the last resort. So I went up and it was, my wife would tell you what was quite a ride because I was par paranoid of every helicopter and every police car and every car oh, following wow. us. And we almost turned around and didn't do it. And I met with the psychiatrist and really liked him and he explained the program. And I said, so this electric shock thing takes like seven weeks and I said, you say I'll get better. He said, I said, it's what, a little bit? I'll feel a little happy. He said, no, if it works completely, your depression and anxiety is gone. Wow. And I said, you've had people that actually, he says, yeah. I said, has anybody ever died doing this since you're shoving electricity in their brain? And he, <laughs> said, he said, yes, I've had four out of, wow. yeah, I've had four out of 8,000. And two of them had heart problems. Okay. So he said it, it's, you know. So we thought about it, prayed about it. Um, and we didn't have insurance, so we had to pay cash for it. And it was expensive. We said, okay, last resort. Let's give it a shot. So quickly, I, I was supposed to go through 12 sessions. Actually, I had 13. Um, and after a lot of money and eight sessions, nothing. Oh no. I felt nothing. And they literally put the, you know, they put the metal things on your brain and they're, they're giving you a major seizure. Wow. They paralyze your body because they don't want you to fly up off the table. Right. They're putting a very low dose of electricity, but they're centering in like a one inch square of your brain. Wow. So it's very powerful. And on the ninth treatment, I went, got home, of course, with a terrible headache, and went, wow, I felt just a little better. <laughs> and by the 13th treatment, it was gone. Holy cow. I was happy. I was not depressed. The panic attacks were very few. And so here I am 43 years later. Wow, this was 43 years ago. 43 years. It was happened when I was 50. And I started, I was molested, starting molested when I was seven. So it took 43 years of trying, never giving up, riding the roller coaster to beat it. And suddenly I was happy and I didn't have a clue how to be happy. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? I, I didn't know what happy so was. Interesting, because I had a similar experience. I went through um, somatic experiencing therapy, which is like, in my layman's definition, the idea that your muscles hold on to your memories like your subconscious. Mm -hmm. And so if you can get your body to release those that energy, it's gone. And so my experience was, it was gone. And still my brain held on to the stories. So I would be talking about like these things that used to make me cry or have a panic attack or like all of these emotions and realize like, 
huh, I don't feel that in my body anymore. But it's almost like someone removed it just suddenly. And so it was this weird, what do I do now? <laughs> oh, it was weird. I remember my son at church seeing me parade around before the service started, my granddaughter. I had my first ECT treatment the day she was born. Wow. Talk about God's perfect timing. Wow, wow, wow. And she was born. I don't remember anything of it. I slept on the couch. And <laughs> sure, of course. Delivered. I was pretty out of it. Yeah. But I remember my son looking at my wife when I was parading around, introducing my granddaughter. I was like, who is that guy? <laughs> he used to sit out in, in the waiting room and during church and not talk to anybody. Wow. And like a totally said, different person. So one of the setbacks of ECT is you have some uh, memory loss mm. and it's pretty severe at first and there's still things I don't remember. There's parts of my life that I don't remember. But the cool thing and weird thing about it is they basically rebooted your brain, if that's how you want to think about it, like a computer. You reboot a computer. Right. They rebooted my brain and jump-started it, but it created new lines in my brain. So my taste in food changed. My oh, interesting. My taste in movies changed. My taste in sports changed. Things I never would eat, I now is my favorite. <laughs> And my wife came to my photography studio as a photographer my whole life. And she said, what is that music? I said, it's Frank Sinatra. It's amazing. <laughs> she said, you used to play like ACDC and hard rock. And I said, no, it's Frank Sinatra. It's great. Wow. Do it. And things just changed. And I used to drive really pretty slow. My kids just tease me. Now I drive really fast. Well, I don't know if that's that, a good thing. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing. But, <laughs> but I, I do have to say, I'm sorry, what was that? My kids love it. That's funny. I do have to say, though, let's give a shout out to your wife because oh, yeah. she basically married one person and now you're a different person and she's still like, kudos to her for being so open and and loving and kind to like kind of re-get to know you, it sounds like. Yeah, there's old Greg and new Greg. And everybody likes new Greg much better. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> and old Greg. But here's the kudos to my wife. She, she never let me forget that her and the kids were going through hell too. Mm. When she had to kind of snap me back into reality when it became all about me. Yeah. She said, you know, when you go to the mental hospital, that's actually a vacation for us. Wow. I know you. I know you're safe. I know you're in a place getting help, and it's a place for us to kind of breathe. But she was she was told by asked by somebody she really respected, a dear friend of ours, and said, "Why don't you just leave?" Mm. And her answer was, "Well, I don't think he's always going to be like this." And she said, "If I did, what does that say about me?" Wow. She sounds like a magnificent human. She is. She's. She's. Um, she's amazing. That's so incredible. You know, I. I wasn't happy. I didn't know how to be happy. And so, about six months after I beat my mental illness, 
the second miracle in my life happened. And miracles happen every day. Mm. I want people to believe that. They didn't just happen in Bible times and in the old. They mm -hmm. don't just happen on the other side of the world. They happen every single day. And as a life coach, I see that every single day with my clients. Right. Because brain is an amazing thing. It really uh, is. But about six months after that, I didn't even hardly remember, a 16-year-old girl had called me. She was a model. And she said, I, I've seen your work online and I want you to do my portfolio. I said, okay, bring your mom, <laughs> bring your mom or dad because you're 16. Right. She said, okay, we set an appointment for a week later. Didn't really think another thing of it. Wrote her name down. Well, in the time that I, like you said, wanted got better, I wanted to study the brain. I wanted to study thinking. I wanted to study fear. And because I'm finding out things are all attached to fear. Right. And it's so interesting. You should listen. Um, I actually interviewed a fear expert on the show and it was, it aired, I think a week and a half ago. Her name is Gina Fresquez and her take on fear is so interesting because she loves studying the brain too. So I think you would enjoy that episode, but continue. Yeah. So I was looking for a book on fear and I kept finding fear of this, fear of work. Fear of, uh, no, I just want fear. Mm -hmm. And I found a book on uh, Amazon. Okay. And I don't read digital books. I hate them. I want a real book in my hand. But it, this one sounded so good, I downloaded it. Okay. I stayed up all night reading it, and I finished it at my studio. And I just finished it, and about five minutes later, this girl that had talked to me the week before came in with her mom. And I said, well, go set up your clothes and, and do your makeup and stuff. And I looked at her mom, who I'd never met. I said, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> she said, I'm a life coach. Oh, wow. And I said, what the heck's a life coach? <laughs> right. <laughs> I said, that's a real thing. Really? <laughs> People here? And I kind of gave her a bad time. And she says, yeah, but I'm most excited because my book just got published on Amazon. Oh, cool. I said, it was not the book you were reading, was it? Oh, my and God. I said, what's the name of your book? And she told me. And I looked on the back cover of the book, and it was her picture. Oh my god! <laughs> I said, "Well, I just, I just um, finished your book." She said, "You're probably one of the first ten people to buy it." That is so insane! Oh my goodness! <laughs> so there was a little do 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 right there, and I said, "What oh, man this?" And she explained what she could do as a life coach and bringing clarity into my life. And I said, mm -hmm. oh "My gosh, do I need that?" <laughs> right, especially now because you're all like different. I I'm empty. I'm like an empty shell, and I'm like, I got to replace. But in a good way. Yeah, in a good way. <laughs> and I said, boy, that probably sounds expensive. And she told me the price, and, I, and she says, well, how much is this portfolio? And they were in 50, within $50 of each other. Wow. And I said, why don't we just trade? No money. That's so awesome. Barter. And the next three months with her filled in every missing part of my life. Oh my God, that's and, so incredible. And we live 60 miles away free from each other. We never wanted that. But her 16-year-old daughter was impressed. That is um, so cool. I love that story so much. This has been such a cool conversation, Greg. Thank you so much for being so open and honest and, and sure. wonderful. If you can believe it, we're coming to the end. So. No. I know. I would love if you could give our audience one piece of advice. Yes. Um, the piece of advice I would give them is when you have days that you think you're never going to get through them, 
and I had hundreds of them. You just, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to get through it. Think back of how many days you've got through that you thought you're never going to get through. Hmm. And if you're listening to me right now, you have a hundred percent success rate getting through the hardest things in your life. Wow. Not very many people have a hundred percent success rate of anything. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but you've got through every single one of them. That's so and that true. That shows that you're really strong. Yeah. Oh, so good. Thank you so much for that. That's beautiful. And so true, right? It's like we forget that we forget how strong we are. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. Okay. So uh, next, if you could share a resource that helped you get through some of the worst days. One of my, yeah, it's a resource that I read somewhere years ago and I had it up in my car. I had it written down different places. And it's the most simple, silly quote I've ever heard, but it's the most powerful quote I've ever heard. And it said, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Hmm. And that is so deep if you think about it. So profound. And if nothing changes in your life, if you don't try to change anything, it's not going to change. But we get surprised that it doesn't change. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? Like we get surprised. <laughs> like, like why is today the same as yesterday? <laughs> because you're doing the same thing. And it's baby steps. I took 43 yeah. years of baby steps. Oh, like, ain't that the truth? It's just baby steps. It really is. It's the constant comparison that we do to everyone's like end product without seeing the years of you know, toil and sweat and tears. And so I love that because anybody listening, if you're going through something, like Greg and I have both gone through some serious things. And for him, it took 43 years to overcome. And for me, it was seven solid years of constant work to overcome PTSD. So it's not a quick process by any stretch of the imagination. And I feel like most people think they're failing along the way but just remember like we're both examples of the fact that it can happen yeah and it happens all the time it happens all the time and you just got to keep going i think that the key though is acknowledging that it's happening and and not getting stuck in the the issue right yeah i mean i i tell clients i tell i've written about it Yes, you have a book. We're going to post yeah. that on your show page at aggressiveoptimism.com. Yeah, I wrote about it. I talk about it. I give speeches about it. One of the things I advise clients to do when they're so wrapped up in fear, which wraps us up in ourselves and makes us small and hard to love other people, is one of the ways you beat your mental illness is you go out and you help other people in the circle. Mm. Now, there's not much harder I can ask you to do when you're dealing with depression. Yeah. That's but a great resource, by the way, volunteering. Find a place if, to volunteer. Even if it's, you know what, I'm going to smile and say hi to two people, dang it, today. Yeah. And that's where I started. Wow. And now I smile and say hi to everybody. <laughs> you know, now you're like literally one of the friendliest people I've ever met. Outgoing, wonderful. It's, yeah. Knowing you is a delight. So I... I'm so grateful that we got to meet. I'm really, really glad that you're bad at all of the depression part. <laughs> um, and I'm so glad that you sought help. I think that another thing I would love to add, and then we're going to wrap it up, is we oftentimes 
think it's other people's responsibility to reach out to us when we're dealing with mental illness, but you can't count on other people to do that. You've got to reach out yourself. And hopefully this show gives you a lot of different ways to do that and a lot of different resources and stories like Greg's of people who have done it um, because you're worth it. You need to be here. And so please, you know, if you're struggling, reach out um, and reach out to professionals because they're the ones that can really help you putting that kind of mental health on someone who's not trained is actually quite dangerous. Yeah. It can be, and the people, but the people that made the biggest difference, real quick, in, in my yes. getting better, because yeah, the, the doctors were amazing and they kept me alive. They didn't fix me; that was my job. Mm -hmm. But I studied and I read other people who had been there. Yes, health, lived it, and beat it. Absolutely. Find examples, man. I talk about that all the time on the podcast. Find examples of people who have overcome the thing that you're struggling with right now. They were the strength. I heard one lady explain a panic attack before I knew what it was. I said, oh, I'm not the only person that has these. Right. And she explained it. I went, oh, my gosh. So now I studied panic attacks and I understand. Mm. And I went through everything in my life and you went through everything in your life to put you in a position for you to do your podcast, to me to sit in front of people doing a mental illness and go, I, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I'm so grateful for you sharing all of this with the listeners. And um, thank you, Greg. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been great. <laughs> thank you guys who've been listening please share this episode i think it's so important mental health is something that's obviously very heavy on my heart and i think the more we can share stories of people who have overcome their mental illnesses and have really created mental health for themselves the better the world's going to be and yeah, you guys have been listening to the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Edwards. You guys, seriously, remember, if you dream it, it's possible. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you'll join me next time. The Aggressive Optimism Podcast is made possible through affiliate programs. So if you'd like to support the podcast and get some really great products for yourself, head on over to the offerings page at aggressiveoptimism.com. And if you want a little more aggressive optimism in your life, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Jenna Edwards Life. I'll see you over there. Until then, have a good one.